Second Peter chapter one. As we talked about last week, uh, this is our uh, second part to uh, make disciples. We started uh, talking last week about uh, the Great Commission. So we said the church was not just commissioned uh, during this time, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, but there was a commission that happened prior to that, and that is found at the end of Matthew chapter 28. All this is kind of happening at the same time, uh, but here in Matthew 28, just a kind of a reminder of what we're looking at. And so uh, these are the words of Jesus uh, to the disciples, and he says this in Matthew 28, 19, go there Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, again, uh, this is a little bit of review from last week, but just so that we're all on the same page, that uh, this is uh, the, the command here. Uh, make uh, disciples. And so as uh, Jesus is instructing uh, the disciples, uh, the go is how you do it, uh, but what we're supposed to do is make disciples. And so we looked at that very first part of making disciples, and that was by baptizing them, that is, baptizing the disciples, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so last week, uh, we marked the, the, the first part of how does a church make disciples by baptizing believers, all right, by baptizing believers. The first step to making disciples is really to reach the lost, uh, to see them one uh, through the gospel, and then that goal is is not to uh, entertain the lost as as sometimes um, Christian churches do, but really our goal is uh, to see the gospel take root in people's lives. Uh, the goal is to see the gospel change people's lives, and so for them to put their faith and trust in the work of Christ. And then new believers uh, become dedicated to the Lord, and so they, they want to uh, celebrate that new life within them, and so they're baptized, all right? They're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so remember, that is a, a great time, uh, a time where people show their dedication and love to the Lord. And, and last week, we, we celebrated that as a, a picture of maybe a wedding celebration. And so uh, oftentimes when, uh, when a couple gets together, they want, to, they want to celebrate that with their loved ones and their friends and uh, because uh, they're, they're, they're making a, a, a big decision. They want everybody uh, to know. And so that, that wedding kind of ceremony, uh, that's the idea of, of a baptism. It's a ceremony of, of just a, 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 a celebration of what's already happened inside uh, someone's heart. And so uh, last week we were able to uh, baptize uh, Kaylin, and uh, that was that was exciting. And uh, just to let you know, if maybe you, we, we talked about that last week, and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I have never been baptized. I am a Christian, and you're right. I should be celebrating the fact that I put my, my faith and trust in him. Uh, you know what? We do have another baptism on the calendar for the end of this month. And so if you've never been baptized and maybe the Lord used the baptism last week uh, to work in your heart, uh, please uh, come and see 
see me or reach out uh, to one of the elders or give me a call in the office or talk to Marilyn, and uh, we'd love to sit down with you and talk with you um, about uh, baptism. So we do have another one on the calendar. It was already kind of there, so we're going to keep it. And um, so if someone wants to get baptized, that'd be great. It'd be an honor for me uh, to baptize you. So that very first part of the Great Commission, it really starts with the gospel. All right, it really starts with the gospel, and that's what the picture of baptism in is. It is the fact that Jesus Christ, again, uh, and we saw this time after time last week, that picture of Jesus Christ died for me, he was buried, and then, and then he rose again, that picture of what we've already believed in our heart. And then we have that, that second part, that second part of the Great Commission. So if we say that first part is by baptizing believers, that second part would be teaching believers, so teaching them, that is, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, those who have been baptized, teaching them to observe. Now that, that word observe in the Greek is to obey, conform, or keep. And so it's the idea of obedience uh, to the Word of God. And so uh, the Great Commission is not just about seeing people saved. That is a part of the Great Commission, but that's not the end result of the Great Commission. The Great Commission in making disciples is to see people saved, baptized, that is a dedicated love for their Lord and Savior, and then that last part is really to be taught, to teach them to obey God's Word. And so that's what we're, what we're going to be looking at today, that idea of following God's Word. And of course, when we think about that last part, all that I have commanded you, and where would we find the commandments of God? Where would we find God's Word? Well, that would be in the Bible, which is God's Word. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, uh, the topic of God's Word. Believers are to be taught God's Word, and that is the whole counsel of, of the Lord, both the Old and the New Testament. And how do we know that? Well, that is the example that we see in the New Testament. And so when we look at the New Testament writers, um, I think every, if, if I'm not mistaken, every writer in the New Testament at some times references the Old Testament. And so the New Testament writers did not set aside the Old Testament and say, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's no good or that's not for us. Uh, but instead they referenced it quite a bit because it has bearing on the New Testament. And so uh, the whole counsel of the Lord. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ regularly, regularly uh, communicated uh, the Old Testament as well. And so that, that whole counsel, and that's what we're going to see again today as, as we look at 2 Peter chapter 1. So notice 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'll have you uh, stand out of uh, respect for God's word. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from 16 uh, all the way down to verse 21. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and it says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to him the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. 
for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone, uh, someone's own interpretation, but no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke as they were uh, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do think about your word. And Lord, uh, it is exciting to be able to have your word, to be able to learn uh, who we are and, and uh, learn about you. Here we are uh, focusing on the creator of all things, the, the perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here we are, get to study and learn and have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the, for the gospel. We thank you for the Great Commission, go and make disciples. We thank you that there was someone in our life that shared that good news with us, whether it was a church, whether it was a friend, whether it was a family member, to be able to share that, that good news, that life-giving hope that we find in the gospel. And so, Lord, now as we focus on that second part of the Great Commission, that idea of obeying God's word. Help us, Lord, to be able to learn from the text that you have for us today of what, uh, from what Peter says about this idea of inspiration in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So as we stated at the very beginning, uh, the Great Commission isn't simply about soul winning or personal evangelism. The Great Commission is about reaching unbelievers with the gospel with the goal of seeing them saved, baptized, and taught to obey uh, God's word. And so in our fallen condition, this might be our question. Isn't salvation, isn't the gospel enough? Do they really need to be taught God's word? Or is it enough that they're simply taught the gospel? And if we're talking about uh, saving faith, all they need to be saved is to put their faith and trust in, in the work of Christ. The fact that he died in their place, that he was buried, and that he rose again. But that's not how we continue our relationship with the Lord. That's how we begin our relationship with the Lord. When we're here on earth, we continue to develop our relationship with the Lord as we learn more about him. And so in our passage today, uh, we're going to see really three reasons why believers should pay attention to God's word. Now, this is uh, part of my introduction, not part of one of the three things. But, you know, as we look at the American church today, many churches are sinking or shrinking. The current generation, the, the Gen Z generation, uh, they don't see an importance in, in the local church. They don't see an importance in the Word of God. And so for that, we see in our churches that they are shrinking or they are closing. Matter of fact, right now in the United States, we're having a pastor shortage. What is, what is that? That means that young people are not going into full-time ministry like like they used to, uh, where Pastor Peter and I and, and April as well, where we graduated um, uh, from school, they had a very large 
uh, ministry uh, group. They would have, like easily, when you think about the preacher boys, uh, they would fill this whole auditorium and, and maybe even some guys standing up in the back. But today, that is not so. That, that group of preacher boys, those guys that are preparing for full-time ministry, is actually a very small group within our, on our, within our college these days. And so we're seeing uh, churches that do not have pastors, and we are seeing churches either sink, shrink, or close all across the United States. And so we are kind of in a, in a, in a rough place uh, right now, but we do have an answer. And I think the answer is the Word of God, all right? I think the answer is the Word of God. So notice how Paul, or I'm sorry, not Paul, but Peter, notice how Peter starts off here in verse 16. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so they are not cleverly, that's like wise, uh, devised myths. These are not like cunning. These are not, uh, he's, he's not trying to pull one over on people. And so this is something that really has always been a challenge throughout um, the church is that the church has always had a, a combat with Satan, with the world, about the, the standard or the way that we can stand on the word of God. And so in Peter's time, they were looking at the stories of Jesus and some of, th some of the things that they did, that he did, and they looked at it as merely myths. And so that idea is a story without basis in fact. That's the idea of a legend. And so when they looked at Jesus Christ, they, they said, those things couldn't have happened. They must simply be stories not rooted in fact. And Peter says, you know what, they are rooted in fact. And how do I know that they're rooted in fact? Well, he goes on to say this in that second part of, of verse 16. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so, so this is what Peter, this is the very first thing that Peter says. He says, you know what? These are not myths. These are not tall tales. These are not legends. These are not stories that have no connection to facts. Instead, he says, I was there. I saw the things that happened. I saw what Christ did. And so I was a eyewitness. The idea of uh, be my witnesses, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. And so that very first thing is, is uh, as, as Peter communicates, is that the Bible is historical. All right? The Bible is, is not a, a bunch of stories that, that are like um, a work of fiction. It's not like when we go and, and we watch a movie or we turn on the TV and, and we're, we're accustomed to accustomed to good fictional novels, but this is not fiction. This is nonfiction. This is historical. This is truth. And how do we know, first of all, Peter says, I was there. I saw it. And notice the time that he describes. This is a friend in verse 17. For when he received honor, that is when Christ received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born 
to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Now, what is, what is Peter talking about here? And really, Peter could use many examples of, of some of the things that, that Christ did. But what he actually does is, is Peter connects Christ back to that promised Messiah. He says, you know what, just as we are waiting for that promised Messiah, Christ is that promised Messiah. Go ahead and, and turn back to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We're going to look at a handful of verses here, so I'm not going to put them up on the wall. And so if you'd like to follow along, this is Matthew chapter 17. Now this is the, what, what Peter is talking about when he talks about the majesty of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this account is recorded in three of the four Gospels. And so notice here, starting in verse 1, this is Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Now who is the writer here? It's Peter is the writer in Second Peter. And we find out from Matthew that he was actually there. So, so far everything seems to, to uh, be connected. On the sixth day, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed before them. That is, Jesus was transformed before, before them. And his faith, uh, face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he, still, uh, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, this is pretty special. So here, there was three of the disciples. Not all the disciples uh, were called up to, to, to experience this very special thing. This is very special because really... What was happening here is that Christ was really showing these three disciples that he was exactly who he said he was. He was God. He was the great I am. He was the Messiah. He was the promised one. That the fact that Moses and Elijah were there were again connecting Jesus Christ to that promised Messiah. The fact that they heard from heaven the sound, the, the voice of God, they trembled in fear. And I love that response of, of Jesus. Here they are really trembling in fear. And Jesus' response is, rise and have no fear. This was a very special time. 
Peter could have talked about the resurrection. He could have talked about bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He could have talked about a number of things that Jesus Christ did. But he chose to really talk about the fact that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. That he was God in human form. That, that even that quote there, that voice from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus Christ said several times that he was the son of God and God himself recognized Jesus as his son. And so this is what we need to know. From the very beginning, Christianity was uh, tied itself to history. Christianity never thought of itself as myths or, or, or fables or stories. But the Word of God has always been rooted in history. And that's one of the reasons why in our Bibles, we can open up our Bible, we can flip to the back, and we can see maps of, of places. You know, in some other religions, they don't have any maps in their Bibles. Why? Because some of the things that they talk about in, in their uh, sacred scripture, they don't know where it is. And so there's no way to be able to make maps because a lot of the places or all the places are fictional places. They can't draw a map because they have no idea where those things are. But when we think about the Word of God, it's always been anchored to history. We can know that these things happen throughout time. When we think about Babylon, when we think about Nebuchadnezzar, I remember being so surprised uh, in, in school because... I, I grew up going to a public school, and to learn in a public school that Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was actually did things. And I was thinking, wait a second, I thought that was a Bible character, and yet you're teaching it as history. And, and that's because those things are connected. The Word of God was always rooted in history. And so that's how Peter represents God's word, that it is rooted in history. These things happen because I was there. I experienced those things. But Peter doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you know what, the, the first reason why we should, we should really listen to the God's word is, is because it's historic. Because obviously there's lots of historic things in the world, and, and we don't connect our lives to historical writings of the world. But there is something else that is true about the Bible. The Bible is reliable. And, and notice what Peter says here. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And so, and so Peter says this. Peter says, hey, you can trust the word of God. This is not stories. This is not made up. I want to tell you, I know it's not made up. I was there. But you know, even if I wasn't there, the word of God says. And that actually surpasses even my own knowledge, my, even my own memories of what happened. God recorded it. And so it is reliable. The Bible is reliable. Peter says we have something more reliable than even recorded history from eyewitnesses. Peter says that prophetic word that recorded history found in God's word. John MacArthur, and as he speaks um, 
On verse 19, he says this, The original argument of the sentence supports the interpretation that Peter is ranking Scripture over experience. The prophetic word Scripture is more complete, more perfect, more authoritative than the experience of anyone. And the apostle saw firsthand what Jesus Christ had done. The fact that it was recorded in God's word means that it is sure and it is reliable. And so Peter says this in verse 19, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And so Peter says, you know what? Because the word of God is... Well, first of all, these things are not fake. They're not stories. They're history. They're reliable. Therefore, we should pay attention. And that really, as, as he kind of, and he says this, he says really that these things are important to us now, and they're important to us moving forward. And when he talks about that morning star rising, he's talking about the Lord's return and so in verse 20, he says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's, uh, someone, someone's own interpretation. And so the Word of God is reliable on itself. It's not because people experienced it that makes it real. It's because the Word of God says that it is real. So the, the idea is this. The Holy, the, the Holy Scriptures have not come from someone's individual understanding of events, visions, or other things. It's important because God used faithful men to speak to mankind. And so first of all, as we think about why, why, why should the Word of God, uh, why is this important that it is part of the Great Commission, the Go and make disciples and see them baptized, saved, and, and really um, loving the Lord. But second of all, that we also teach them. And first of all, because the Word of God is trustworthy. It is historic. It is reliable. And third of all, because it is written by God. It is written by God. And so notice here in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the idea of inspiration. The idea that, that uh, it wasn't that people thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start a religion. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to write about this, this God. And uh, we're going to all connect our writings. And, and we'll just make sure that they all kind of uh, work together. And we'll con people throughout the world to believe in this God and this Christ. Now that might be an argument from the world, but it's not an argument from Scripture. So Peter says, this is not a problem. I saw it. I experienced it. We have something more sure than even my experience, and the reason for that is because God is the writer of God's Word. And so how was the Bible written? God used the intellect, skills, and personality of faithful men to write down what was divine and infallible. That is the idea of perfect. 
as what Peter means when he says carried along by the Holy Spirit, the writers of the Bible were instruments in God's hands as he penned the Bible. Again, using their intellect, skill, and own personality. And how do we know that to be true? Well, when we read through the Bible, we can tell that it's been written by different people. And so not only does it bear their name, but even their writing style is different. And why? Because they're different individuals. God brought them through different things, but God had them write for him. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so one sense, the Bible is both a human and divine book However, that doesn't mean that it contains errors. For example, as Christ walked on the earth, he also had a nature of man, so he was born of a woman. He was part of mankind, but he was also God. He was fully man and fully God, and yet he never once sinned. He was without error. And so in one one aspect, the Bible is both human and a divine book. It is human because it is written by men. It is divine because God is the author of his word. Therefore, the word of God is the most reliable thing we have because God himself wrote it. So let's wrap this up. Let's go to the original question. When it comes to the Great Commission, isn't salvation enough? Isn't salvation enough? Do we need to make disciples who are dedicated Christians, who are taught the Bible and obey it? And it is true that the gospel is enough to start a relationship with the Lord. The gospel is enough to see someone be saved. But are they truly a disciple of Jesus Christ if they are only saved but never taught? And Jesus Christ says, if we're going to make disciples, we need to see them baptized, and we need to see them obey God's word, teach them to obey God's word. That is what the Great Commission is. And so this is God's plan. It's not our plan. This is God's plan, but it is our purpose. In the church today, we might see one of two extremes. All right, and this is kind of where we get back to our illustration about churches uh, shrinking. And I, th I think that there is one of two reasons, and really we need to go back to this idea of the Great Commission. In some churches, they focus so much on making disciples through baptism that they fail to teach them God's word. Some pastors are afraid that if they preach God's word faithfully, they'll offend people that their churches will begin to shrink because they are communicating what God's word says and that offends people and if people leave the church will shrink and so they in a way they they don't teach God's word they don't value God's word some pastors they value their stories their illustrations and their motivational ideas if you want to be a good parent these are the five things you do and they're not based upon God's word. They're just good instruction. If you want to be a, a good worker and succeed in the world, these are the things you do. 
again, not connected to the word of God, but instead their ideas. Truly, if the foundation of God's word is destroyed, the whole building will collapse. And I think that's part of what we're seeing here in America uh, today is that the word of God has not been given the priority in some churches. That we've gotten so focused on filling churches with people that we've kind of downgraded the importance of God's word so that churches are full. Now that is one extreme. Now this is the second extreme. On the second hand, some churches focus so much on teaching, they forget about the unbelievers outside the church. And so they get so focused on, I, I, need, to, I need to prepare in such a way that I clearly communicate, and that should always, always be the goal of a pastor, to clearly communicate the word of God. But they do it in such a way that the priority is only the people within the four walls of the church. And they forget about the people that are outside the church, the people in their community, the people that need the Lord. And so with that in mind, it's no wonder that churches like that are shrinking because they fail to remember that the church needs to forever be building. Because this is the truth. One day, you will not be here. One day, I will not be here. Either we will move away or we will pass away, we'll pass on eternity, and we'll be with our, our Lord and Savior. The question is, who will fill this church once we are gone? If we are so focused on these four walls and these people within this church, when we pass away or when we move away, this church will close. This church will shrink and shrink and shrink until one day it will close up. And so there really has to be two parts of the Great Commission, all right? We cannot say, you know what, my focus is only to evangelize. Again, that's the start. That second part is to teach. And some churches, they lean way over on this side, and they say, it's all about evangelizing. We're not going to preach about the gospel. I mean, we're not going to preach the Bible. We don't want to offend people. We want them to come. We're going to tell them some good stories. They lean way over here. And there's some churches that lean way over here. They say, it is so important that we, we have good preaching in our church. That is what people need. But then they forget the people outside the church. And so we see in, in, our, in our country today, churches shrinking. Because maybe they're one of these two extremes. They focus so much on evangelism, they water down the Bible. Or they focus so much on the Bible, they don't But the Great Commission is really both. So the Great Commission is this. The Great Commission is about reaching unbelievers with a goal of seeing them saved, baptized, and taught to obey God's word. Within a church, there must be both of these ideas together. If we ever lose a focus as a church that, you know what, it's just about us and it's not about our community, our church will end up closing because we're not reaching the lost. We're not reaching the unbelievers. But at the same time, if we are so focused on reaching our community that we're not teaching the Bible, then we've missed that second part. We're not building up the believer 
in their relationship with the Lord. We're not helping them, as, as, we, as we talked about this morning during the baby dedication, we're not helping them to train their children to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. Instead, we're giving them some good ideas about parenting. One of the most sobering comments I have heard recently is this. Evil never retreats on its own. It only retreats when a greater force is applied to it. Obviously, the only force that is greater than evil is God himself. And he works through the church, the bride of Christ. And so we think about some of the things that are happening in the world today. And, and even some of the conversations that I had just, just before I came up here and preached. And, and the world is not getting any better. The world is getting more evil. They're falling more away from the Lord. It shows it in our churches. It shows it within our communities. But evil never retreats on its own. But God is stronger than that. And the gospel does change lives. So again, this is not our plan. This is God's plan this is our purpose. The Great Commission, go and make what? Disciples. And how do we do that? By baptizing believers and by teaching believers to love God's word and to obey God's word. Those are the two points of the Great Commission. See people saved, baptized, and obey God's word. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you. For the word of God. Without the word of God, we'd be different people. We'd have different standards. We would not be alive spiritually. We wouldn't know. And we could look around and we could tell that there's a God because, because of creation, but we wouldn't know who that God is unless you revealed yourself to us. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the word of God, which reveals to us who we are and who you are. Lord, as we think about our focus this year, be witnesses, his plan, our purpose, this is so important for us. It's so key. It is, it is a theme that is so key for the time because we do need, we, we do need to be trained. We, we do need to learn how to share our faith, how to, how to be witnesses. Truly, Lord, use Wilton Bible Church to promote your kingdom. May your kingdom advance in our community. May your kingdom continue to advance in our state and in our country and around the world. We know that the Great Commission is not just about Wilton Bible Church, though it is about Wilton Bible Church. And so, Lord, I pray for churches all across the world, that we would be churches that would desire to make disciples, to see people saved and baptized, to see people taught the word of God, that you would get a hold of this generation, that they would turn back towards you, that you would bring, bring revival to our country, that again, there would be young people who would surrender Surrender to full-time ministry. Surrender to be missionaries, to be pastors, to be Christian school teachers. Lord, we know that you're at work. 
And so, Lord, we pray that uh, we as, as believers would step out on faith, that we as believers would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.